Hello and welcome to Currency Exchange, NatWest Market's currency podcast, where myself, Imre Daly, and NatWest Market's team of FX strategists help to break down the major themes and events driving currency markets in the weeks ahead. Today, I'm joined by Brian Dangerfield, who's our co-head of G10 FX strategy based out in the U.S. It's been a tumultuous time for uh, the dollar and for markets at the moment. We're really markets um, confidence in the fact that we are approaching a dollar downtrend has really been tested. And we've seen you know, the dollar really trending upwards through February. Uh, this week, we had FOMC minutes and it saw the dollar take another step higher. Brian, I would love to give you a view. Do you think, you know, markets are just looking for any excuse to, um, you know, buy the dollar? Um, what do you think was actually said in this week's FOMC minutes? Great. Thank you very much for having me, Emer. You know, the FOMC minutes, we don't think broke a ton of new ground relative to the decision and press conference itself on February 1st. But really what has changed since February 1st, which was effectively the trough in the dollar so far this year, your dollar was above 0.10 at the time, for example, um, has been the U.S. economic data. So since the turn of the month, we've gotten a lot of data for the month of January, which has uh, almost universally surprised decidedly to the top side. You've had non-farm payrolls, uh, measures of ISM services, uh, momentum, the SP Global Services momentum index also increased. You had a very strong retail sales reading. You have inflation that not only was uh, firm in the month of January, but you also had some backward-looking revision. So you take all this together, and since the Fed spoke, uh, since Powell gave his press conference on February 1st, which had a bit of a dovish tone to it, uh, the Fed, the market, and the dollar have all been data-dependent. That data has been very strong. Um, and so as you mentioned, we came into this year uh, with a pretty uh, bearish dollar view. We think the consensus also held a bearish dollar view. On the back of a number of factors, including one of them being the U.S. economy downshifting back to the pack a little bit and allowing the rest of the world to kind of catch up um, to the U.S. So in this period of U.S. dollar and U.S. growth exceptionalism last year where U.S. growth was relatively strong, while the rest of the world growth was under pressure due to a variety of factors, including high energy prices in Europe and China's constant COVID lockdowns. We started the year with some of those trends. Uh, moving in the other direction where the data into the end of the year in the U.S. was generally a little bit weaker. The December data that we've gotten through the month of January uh, was fairly weak. But it certainly looks like from the data that we've seen, uh, you know, Americans woke up on January 1st with a full different outlook uh, for spending growth, employment. Um, we've really had some blowout numbers since then. So like you said, the dollar outlook, uh, the, the bearish dollar outlook, certainly under challenge here. And the reality is that we are in a data-dependent world and the market is repricing the Fed based on the data. We're not listening as much to what the Fed is saying. We're all looking at the data and the data have been pushing in the direction of hawkish repricing. So I think it's appropriate that we've seen uh, the dollar uh, rebound from its highs. I think it's a different question whether or not we need to see further moves higher here or whether this is uh, simply a pullback from some of the very, from some, some from some of the pretty strong moves uh, in the weaker dollar direction in the pa in the two months prior, really since the beginning of November. It does seem like Americans just woke up with a lot of uh, New Year's optimism on January 1st. And really the data, the January data has been so strong, really consistently beating market expectations. You know, is it just that the U.S. economy is just defying economic gravity? I mean, we've had a significant 10th Fed tightening cycle. And yes, 
the U.S. is kind of growing on on all cylinders. I mean, do you think there are idiosyncratic factors or seasonal factors at play? Um, are markets, I guess, you know, reading too much into this data, too sensitive to data prints, perhaps? Well, I'm certainly attuned to that risk personally. Now, um, two things can be true at the same time. The first one might be that the U.S. is maybe not slowing as much as previous data had suggested. But also, it could be true that the January data may be overstating the strength of the economy uh, at the moment. You know, there certainly can be issues with seasonal adjustment, you know, turn of the year seasonals. And it's also been true that generally speaking, we've had a relatively warm, unseasonably warm winter here in the U.S. And that might be boosting some weather sensitive type of, uh, you know, type of economic data, say, like going out to restaurants, for example, and travel and that sort of thing. And so the, the the reality probably lies somewhere in between. It seems unlikely that the U.S. is accelerating at a, at the torrid pace that some of these data are suggesting. But it may also be true that the strength in the data also reflects the fact that the U.S. might not be slowing um, as fast as some of the survey data late in the year may have suggested that it was. But as long as these data are strong, it's going to be very difficult for the Fed to slow down and for the market to price that. And so I think the market has repriced appropriately towards a more hawkish Fed. Um, we've done a lot of repricing work over the last couple of weeks because of this strong data. The question I think from here is, what is the onus on the, the onus is on the data to continue to outperform at this Tory pace, I think, to force the market to reprice even higher. So for some context, uh, the peak in the Fed fund rate is currently priced at around uh, five and uh, five spot three five percent, that's slightly above where the Fed's current median is from December. Although I think expectations are probably that that level comes up at the March meeting, and the market is not pricing a full twenty five basis point interest rate cut by the Fed for the remainder of this year. So from that perspective, the market has repriced not only fully towards the Fed, but you could argue that it's actually repriced a bit above the Fed in some regards. And so the question, I think, looking at the data coming up, and again, data-dependent dollar, um, the data are what's going to matter here. And it's very difficult to have a ton of confidence in the data after such a very, very strong start to the year, uh, which sort of leans against a lot of the data that we had seen in November and December. It's hard to know which of those trends is the right one. But I think the, the question here is, do we need the U.S. data to stay at this incredibly strong level to push market pricing in a more hawkish direction? Or would a downshift to what I would consider maybe a more more normal-ish number, say an NFP that's solid, but not 500,000 job gains, which is what we got at the prior month. So the question I would think from the dollar side is, when you think about how much further does this retracement have to go, this stronger dollar have to go, from the Fed perspective, it's probably a question of how much more Fed do we see like the market needs to price and what's the risk reward around repricing of the Fed. And I would say that as we move higher, as the market has done a lot of repricing work, that risk reward becomes more balanced. Now, to be fair, over the last couple of weeks, we've been thinking that that risk is be becoming more balanced, but the data have blown out to the top side and that's um, you know sort of cemented that risk further. So it, that's not to say that the dollar can't continue to strengthen if the data stay um, strong. That's certainly true. But from the Fed perspective, um, if the data are strong, but it doesn't lead to additional repricing of the Fed because we're now roughly in line with what the Fed is telling us, maybe the impetus for stronger data to push the dollar stronger from here uh, it may decline until we hear more 
uh, more hawkishness from the Fed, for example. So if like 50 basis point rate I get sustainably put back on the table, for example, maybe that's a flashpoint for potential further dollar strength. But right now the Fed's not, you know, I think that's still a minority view with the Fed. And so the balance of risks around the dollar from Fed repricing feels like it's becoming more balanced here. Yeah, I definitely think we have seen a significant repricing in terms of Fed rate market rate expectations. And you have to think just the balance of risk for the dollar at this point has changed. I mean, in terms of what could drive it forward further, the market's obviously very dependent on data. What data points are you watching, which could kind of determine the next you know, direction for the dollar? So there's a couple in early March that are worth watching. You have the non-farm payroll report. You also have uh, Fed Chair Powell is set to speak before Congress. It'll be his final appearance uh, before the Fed's quiet period, before the March meeting. And then you also have a CPI in mid-March. So you think about all of the very, very good data that we got for the month of January that was released really since the beginning of February. Um, we will get another full month of key economic data before the Fed holds its meeting in March. So there's still plenty of time for the data to come through and change the market's base case in either direction, either lean very hawkishly because it's quite strong and maybe sort of romance the market's inclinations towards the possibility of maybe returning to a larger increment rate hike, say 50 basis points, those data are stronger. If those data come back to what I, you know, what we would consider maybe more consistent with the trend that we had seen in data heading into the end of last year, uh, then maybe that sort of cools the market's run a little bit here. Um, and, and again, with the market having already done a lot of Fed repricing, the balance of risk around that data is probably a little bit more uh, balanced rather than skewed towards strong data overwhelming a dovish market consensus, which is what we had uh, at the beginning of the month. So there's a number of key data points between now and the late March uh, FOMC meeting, employment, ISM numbers, uh, CPI, and then we'll also hear from, uh, from Fed Chair Powell, as mentioned. So there's a lot of different uh, potential drivers here. Um, and so the short-term trend of the dollar, I feel like it's going to be very dependent on the outcome of those data. And since we've had so much volatility in that data, it's hard to have a lot of confidence um, in the near-term trend here. Yeah, completely. Um, uh, I guess, you know, FX is always a relative game. So, you know, the dollar is not trading in a vacuum. It really depends, you know, how the global tides are changing or shifting around the dollar. And we obviously have significant developments around China reopening. So how are you seeing the dollar, I guess, in a more global context? Yeah, that's a really important point, actually, because we think about the dollar exceptionalism period from, you know, in 2022, we were thinking about sort of two factors. Number one, the Fed outlook and the U.S. outlook, which is what we've talked about most of this podcast. But there's another side of that coin, right, which is the non-U.S. outlook, what's going on abroad. And I mentioned this briefly at the offset. Uh, but in 2022, you had significant downward revisions of growth expectations in Europe, the war in Ukraine, and the uh, surge in natural gas prices really reduced expectations for uh, economic growth in Europe. Um, at the same time, continued COVID lockdowns in China were a significant downside risk, not only for um, Chinese economic growth, but also for the region and for many commodity exporters, of, which as we know, China is a very big uh, user and demander of. So since the turn of the year, really over the last couple of months, we've seen a clipping of that, what I would consider peak pessimism in the ex-US outlook. So energy prices in Europe have come down 
and stayed lower substantially. You know, certainly Europe paid a big price in order to get the kind of energy security and stability, or I would say relative energy security and stability, I should say, um, that they're enjoying now. And the market has priced out some of the worst outcomes uh, from the European winter, which thankfully, I think for all of us is, is approaching an end here. Well, I think we're all looking forward to warmer temperatures. And in China, of course, we've had a COVID reopening that, that went much, much faster than most had expected. And so from that perspective, I think there's two things are doing against a return to its all one trade style dollar exceptionalism. The first comes from the Fed side, which is, you know, the data have been stronger of late, but we don't have the Fed marching quickly to try and increase the, in, increase the speed of rate hikes. Instead, we seem to be downshifting towards a more maintenance mode where they're trying to balance the risks of over tightening versus under tightening. You know, th that can change if these data seem to confirm, these upcoming data seem to confirm this reacceleration we had. Um, I'm more skeptical of that outcome, but that's obviously something that could come back on. Uh, but as long as we stay in this sort of maintenance mode, it seems unlikely that we're going to get back into this every data point could lead to much more hawkish Fed type of outcome. Then from the global side, we have had a resetting of expectations higher, which is something that, you know, allows, hey, if the US outlook is doing better, that's in the context of a global outlook that is better. And maybe the rest of the world kind of benefit on the coattails of a US outlook that looks increasingly like a soft landing if or potentially even a no landing type of scenario. So it seems unlikely that we'll turn to the dollar, return to the dollar exceptionalism style rally in the dollar that we saw um, throughout most of 2022 because some of its key drivers um, have changed. And I know, Emer, turning it back to you, for emerging market currencies, the it's all one trade style dollar. If the dollar is stronger, EM is weaker. If the dollar is weaker, EM is stronger. You know, you guys really have to deal with that on a day to day basis. The reality that the dollar is sort of the, the driving force for a lot of EM, but it does feel like we have we started this year stepping back a little bit from the dollar being such a clear driving factor, and that's allowed some regional stories to uh, to get a bit more attention. What are some of the regional stories you guys are watching and how are you thinking about emerging market currencies at the moment in light of the moves in the dollar that we've seen over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, the dollar is kind of a weaker dollar than was a prerequisite for going into a number of emerging market currencies just because obviously they are such high carries. So, you know, we're in the start of the year. It's a great time for emerging markets. Not only did we have a weaker dollar, but we also had the China reopening and that pivot towards kind of pro-growth policies that was really just a sugar rush for emerging market assets. So we really saw investors pile back in to EM equities, to EM uh, local currency bonds, and that really boosted uh, some of those high beta, high currency currencies. Now we've had uh, a little bit of a rethink. I think those kind of easy, quick gains are gone. So it's now the end of this sugar rush, and we need to be a lot more selective or where we deploy investment and deploy capital. Um, I do still think, you know, it's a positive environment. As you say, we do think that balance of risk around the dollar has shifted and we should be set for a dollar downtrend. And I would also point to more kind of fundamental factors. We have seen improvement in trade balances across emerging markets. And in a number of cases, it's not just because energy import prices are lower, but it's actually a fundamental kind of shift in, you know, core goods, export versus imports. But also the inflation outlook is improving. And we've seen, you know, central banks and emerging markets being very cautious, you know, really saying that they will stick to tight monetary policy. 
and not showing that they're going to be kind of more to substantiation of premature breakup before they bring inflation back to target. I do think it's an environment where we need to be selective. Uh, so I know particularly in the Asia space, we've kind of shifted away from like the high carry currencies, which are the early winners on any kind of global growth impetus. And we're more looking at quality. So we're looking at stuff like India, which is a very credible central bank or Indonesian rupee, which, you know, is very attractive local currency bonds. And we would argue is relatively undervalued. Um, I think, you know, for me within my space in senior, I really like the Czech Corona. It offers investors a higher return relative to the Eurozone, but it's really backed by a credible and stable institution. I think LADAM are probably the regional high performers. The one thing they really offer the world is very high carry, very high returns, and investors have certainly been missing, missing exposure to uh, local currency bonds from last year. And also, I'd argue a lot of the politics situation is really improving um, on that side of the Atlantic. So I think, you know, um, probably the, the, the easy wins are now in for EM, uh, but there are definitely selective opportunities still to be involved in. Well, guys, that is probably all we have time for this week on the Currency Exchange. Just want to thank Brian Dangerfield, again, our co-head of GTN FX Strategy, based in the U.S., for joining me on this week's episode. Uh, if you did like today's podcast, do please click like and make sure you subscribe so you can get uh, next week's episode at the earliest. Thanks again for joining us.